Hello and welcome to Spotlight. Today we are going to be talking to the Sharuk Khan of homeopathy, Dr. Mukesh Batra. He has led a very eventful life, and he has just published a book about it, The Nation's Homeopath: How Dr. Batra has become the world's largest chain of homeopathy clinics. To tell us more about it, here is the good doctor himself. Welcome to the show, Dr. Batra. Thank you very much, Sandhya, and I'm so glad that you still call it the good doctor. You know, and I think COVID has made a lot of difference in the medical profession. You know, with white coats not being really people not being scared of it, and actually being you know honoring it now. So, so thank you so much for for, for the wonderful introduction, and I'm so happy to be here on your show. So, uh, doctor, I've just been going through your book, and it has an amazing amount of information. You know, about history, about culture, life lessons, and of course about homeopathy. and business so tell us what inspired you to write this book but actually i i, I wrote the book during the lockdown you know i was kind of locked down in my uh, in my goa heritage home for almost one and a half years during covid times and uh, i had an offer to write of course before that and so i said let me just you know put my thoughts together so i used to put in about 5 to 6 hours every day so i think it was it was it was, it was quite a quite, quite a difficult process i'm saying i have written so many other books but i would say that this one really took a lot of effort uh, maybe because of the time in which i wrote it you know the period in which i wrote it and also i think it's it's not very easy to uh, to talk about your past i think it brings back uh, sometimes unhappy memories as well it was also a catharsis you know it's something that you also feel that okay now that is what was hidden within you you are able to actually express yourself and get it out so in a way it's also feeling of happiness but why i wrote it really was because i wanted to share my story you know my story has been really like you know i say you know a real life with the real life of the 70s you know like how in those 70 movies you saw you know amitabh bachchan always fighting and you know all the heroes fighting you know and always succeeding i think mine is really a story like that it's it's just a story where uh, you know right when i was a toddler and we were living in a uh, in a building in, in a very old building in hazratganj in lucknow and i was crawling and my uncle just pulled me out and a few minutes later the entire balcony collapsed you know so from there till like how you saw in movies again in the movies uh, you know uh, you, you always see that one child gets lost in a mela right the comedy episode when i was 3 years old and again you know homeopath you know found me put me on, on his shoulders and you know so many people died during the stampede and i got saved so again you know this is really like like a real life story again and similarly i was you know almost shot at when i was trying to uh, set up A, a clinic in Nigeria, a hospital in Nigeria, actually part a homeopathic division hospital there, and I was almost arrested uh, when I went to Mauritius to start homeopathy there. So I think my life has had very interesting stories to tell, and this is what I've told in my book and shared them with people. And I just thought that you know when I was turning seventy, which was first July, I wanted to share my story so that other people could learn, and so that they don't make the same mistakes that I made in my life. So. Uh, that's really the what inspired me to actually tell my story because lots of people have interesting stories to tell they have an interesting life but they don't have an opportunity to share so for me writing this biography was an was an opportunity to share this and share my life with other people so that others could benefit i also realized that it has a lot of information in how to grow a business and i know from my personal experience of interviewing you for the best of india book so many years ago you had already pioneered app based consulting and telemedicine so many years ago much before people were forced to do it during covid 
You know, I believe that is something that keeps you ahead of the curve. And I've learned this, for example, you know, from Kamath. You know, if you if you go to any UDP restaurant, do you ever worry, ever wonder how is it that you always get hot at least? You know, how are they so fresh? And how is it that the turnaround time is so quick? So if you remember that, you know, there was this young boy called called Vichal Kamath who was actually watching all this, and he realized that a lot of turnaround time gets lost in washing so many dishes because in a South Indian, uh, you know, dosa or idli, you have a sambar, you have a chutney, you have another chutney, you know, and then you have, it all used to come in in different dishes. So the, the washing time, you know, either you put it in a, in a bucket, which some of them used to do at that time, which is not hygienic, or you wash them separately and then you dry them. So the turnaround time for drying and washing took the maximum time rather than actually manufacturing it or making it. So he said, why not have one tray? And why not have, you know, little, you know, holes in them, little kind of depressions in them, where you can put your sambar, your chutney and your dosa. So it then led to a five times turnaround time quicker because you could have, you only need to wash one tray. And that has now become an industry standard, which is called the Kama tray, you know. So this is really what I wanted to bring about in my profession as well. You know, I saw that homeopathy was a system of medicine, which was growing and being loved by more people. But it was still considered as being, you know, ancient, as being, you know, Dadi Makenuskinukse, as, you know, people saying that you had to have, uh, you know, gray hair to, pro- to, to prescribe white pills, you know. So uh, I wanted to change that, that whole image of homeopathy. And also I wanted to give the best benefits of technology to my patients. So which is why I started much before its time. I set up the world's first uh, computerized clinic. I made probably the second electronic medical program and you'll be surprised to know that even today, 90% of, of, of hospitals don't have an electronic medical history. And you know, that is the database for any research that you need to do. And I managed to do that in 1982, you know. So we've always been uh, putting technology with homeopathy to modernize it. And that is something that has worked well for us. And going forward then, you know, we set up the world's first cyber clinic. You know, I saw four and a half lakh patients through the internet, which got me to the Limca Puka World Records for two years, and so on and so forth. You know, today we are looking at artificial intelligence. Uh, we did a DNA study in between with homeopathy, you know, a, geno- a, a genomic kind of study, which we call genohomeopathy. So we always try to bring in technology and try to bring the latest research that we could to kind of scientifically present homeopathy to people. So I think this is the answer to one part of the question. I think if you want to be ahead of competition or if you want to do something, you want to do it five years before anybody else actually starts thinking of it. And every time when you do something new, then you leave competition behind. So it's very important that you actually, uh, you know, uh, do innovation. Again, I just want to clarify here that my idea of innovation is what I call frugal innovation. You just need uh, a fishing rod, not a fishing, not not, not an expensive rod. You just need a, a hook, line and sinker and a little art or a bait at the end to catch fish. Okay, that's all that you need. So you don't need a very expensive fishing line when you want to catch a fish. So similarly in innovation, you just need a great idea and you then need to execute it well. So it's not that all innovation and all R&D is very expensive. This is a concept which a lot of entrepreneurs have in their mind. A lot of business people have in their mind that I need to invest too much of money. I don't know whether I'll get the return or not. But if you think well and you think futuristically and you think that this is what can impact my business or my enterprise, I think you'll always turn successful and you'll always be ahead of the curve, ahead of other people. So you have to keep reinventing yourself all the time. Now I'm going to ask you the question, how did you handle the challenges that COVID posed to your business in particular? It was a very challenging time and it was for everybody else. Uh, Most of us for two reasons. 
two of our kind of enterprises. One is healthcare, where we are where we are in the service industry. Now you know that's retail healthcare. So it's it's really like any retail outlet. Now obviously during COVID time, all these you know clinics about 150 cities in India, 225 clinics almost were shut. Not in India, but almost all over the world. So you still had your salaries to pay. You had fixed costs. You had rentals. You had all of that, and you had no customers coming in or no patients coming in because they were scared. So I think uh, you know it, that's one part of it. The second part was we also have a product business. So in products, the supply chain was stopped. So you couldn't actually get your products to a destination. Now, if you couldn't do that, the other thing was because the retailers were shut for about a year or year and a half, then goods were lying there. So you had an accumulation of goods in the market as well, which also you needed to liquidate. So I think these were the two kind of challenges on both fields. How did we deal with it? I think the first thing comes from self belief. You know, of course, I would say in the first one week we were all top management had a little bit of shock and awe, which came out. I think with, with everybody. But after a little while, when we got over it, uh, we then realized that we must do something very quickly. So what did we do? So for a for a for a cleaning business, which was really the core business that we are in, where we see patients, the first thing we did is we moved computers with security data into the uh, into selected doctors' homes, who were senior doctors. So around hundred of our four hundred doctors, the IT team moved computers with security data, you know, uh, data uh, into doctors' homes. And immediately trained them. You know, our medical team was trained on how to conduct an e-consult. You know, how to make sure that there is no noise in the background. How to make sure there is enough light on the face. You know, all the things that you asked me to do are things that we trained our doctors to do in any case. So, and that we did two years ago, because we knew that this is what is going to happen. If, if there is going to be a culture of work from home, then doctors must be able to consult. It made it easier for us because mobility depends on symptoms. So, if you could talk to to people, you made sure that. They were properly dressed. You made sure that the audio was good. You made sure that the network was a was not a problem because lots of homes at that time had a challenging with network. So we paid for upgrading the network so that you know they could actually talk with with, with their patients you know uh, well without any break. So all these challenges I think we faced, and I must say that we succeeded you know to a large extent because we were able to do about one thousand consults in the first month itself per day. You know. So uh, that's how we overcome it. So the idea was really not to make money. The idea there was to continue servicing patients who needed it, and I think that is something that was appreciated by people. So while we did lose a lot of patients because of COVID during that one and a half years time, but the moment we opened back a few months ago, I'm happy to say that they all started coming back in again because we were servicing them even during the COVID period. And I think that is what is important: that you're not looking at revenue, you're not looking at money, but you're looking at service. You're looking at reaching out to people. And you want to make sure that they that that their lives don't get disturbed because of COVID. So we try to do our best. And then, of course, there was a challenge of medicines. So we, you know, in the beginning, nobody was willing to even courier the medicines. But we paid for couriers for that you know three month lockdown period, where we paid for couriers from our pocket and we sent it to every home wherever we could. So that is how we overcame you know that challenge. Uh, as far as the product company was concerned, you know, we had, for example. Uh, We had a hand wash, and we had just come out with, uh, you know, with a product, but which was no, had no alcohol because you know we you know alcohol dries your skin, and so we had a natural product. And then COVID came. For COVID, you needed a high percentage of alcohol, you know, as uh, to do that. So we very quickly then came out with another product called Safe Hands, you know, in the next few months, so that we could supply that in the market at least. So we could keep the market, you know, going at least, not with our regular products. But at least with one or two new products, we came out with an immunity building, homeopathic, homeopathic drops, 
which were which is our first OTC product as well, which we sold in some pharmacies. So we tried to innovate there as well, and somewhat tried to keep you know the pot boiling, if I may use that word. We all had lots of problems, and we all faced it. All our families went through difficult times. You know, our patients went through very difficult times. So yes, it, I mean, COVID has disrupted the whole uh, you know kind of business model for everybody, entrepreneurship, and also the lives of people. I think it's admirable the way that you built your practice as a doctor of homeopathy and then you went on to build a very successful business. But I'm also interested in these other facets of you. You know, I know you're a very good singer. You paint, you take photographs. How do you make time for all of this? A good question, but uh, not so easily answered. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, I think first of all, uh, you know, when you get into practice, you actually have narrow vision. You know, you just put tunnel vision. You look at nothing else except patients, 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 and you know, how to how to treat them, how to make them well. And that's your focus. And you don't want to divert your attention with anything else. I think medicine is all-consuming. And, you know, uh, it's something that really takes you over completely. It engulfs you totally. And you have no, no time to think of anything else. I'm saying I would work maybe at least 20 hours a day or 19 hours a day as a doctor, seeing patients at 3 in the morning in different countries. And I would travel to you know, all over the world to see patients. You know, I set up the first multi-city practice in that sense, you know, with clinics all over. And I would actually personally go and practice there on the weekends. So it was not, a, it, it's not easy to do something like that. It doesn't give you time for anything else. So whatever, uh, whatever passions I had, I had to actually subdue them because I had no time for them. However, once I set up a, a corporate and once I started, you know, uh, teaching doctors and then handing over practices to them, and once they started growing, I then had more time to myself. And so the moment I found that, I had I had two or three thoughts over there. The first thought was that, you know, I had seen lots of very famous doctors and also top uh, CEOs of companies and industrialists whom I treated. I've seen that, you know, once they're at the top, they become very lonely because, you know, then you think that everybody is making friendship with you or becoming friends with you because for a reason, you know, and you cannot really, you know, then integrate with people. You always think that you're going to be used. It's the same for a doctor. There's something which I call curb consulting. At any party that you go, people will take you on their side and say, you know, doc, I'm losing my hair. What can what can you can you do something for me? My daughter's got pimples. I was I've been pulled out of flights as well. That's how it is. So this is curb consulting. So so you know, wherever you go, people uh, do want to take a bit of you and they want to learn from your knowledge and your experience. I'm happy to do it all the time. But when you had the time to do for yourself and got some time for yourself, you want to make sure that you know, you developed your own uh, capabilities and whatever were your passion that was subdued, you had the time to develop them. So I saw that a lot of top people, they actually took up fine arts. You know, they did photography or they did, they played the piano or they played some violin or they made some, they played some musical instrument because this kept them uh, creatively stimulated, you know. And this is something that then helped them to also uh, do away with loneliness. You know, it's very lonely at the top, as they say. That's really true. So this was one reason why I also learned uh, things after I turned 55. I learned how to sing. I had a teacher coming home and I had used to do riyas for at least one and a half hours every day, you know, before COVID. And even during COVID, I used to do it, uh, you know, with Zoom. So this was one part. The second part also was that I also have seen that in medicine, what happens is that you become insensitive over a period of time. You know, if you look at COVID, for example, I mean, how many deaths have doctors seen? How many deaths have, have nursing staff seen from so close? How many deaths have families seen? You know, I mean, I know that our grandchildren haven't seen death. Our children haven't seen death from so close. But there's been somebody dying in, in 
in in every family and it has touched you so you know there's a sensitivity which is there but when you see too much of it you tend to become a little insensitive so as doctors we see so much of pain suffering death you know one patient says i've got asthma i can't breathe and then somebody else says i've got cancer i'm dying you know so it's just from one to the other so you do get a little sensitive over a period of time and i and i strongly believe therefore that to keep your sensitivity alive you must take up fine arts and which is why i did so when i took up photography and when i took up singing and whatever other fine arts that i that i do i believe that it made me a better doctor it made me more human it 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 made me uh, more creatively uh, inclined and it made me more sensitive to other people's needs you know it sensitized me and therefore it helped me to to give better outcomes to my patients so it didn't only help me uh, you know myself as a person but it also helped my patients the third thing i want to mention here also is that i also believe that i use this for the betterment of society you know and i believe all of us have a talent you have a talent of writing okay i have a talent of of whatever it is singing photography you know i actually believe that if all of us were to use our talent for the betterment of society it would be a better and a happier world and which is what i i believe everybody should do whatever you are talented in bring it out and give it back to society so i'd like to hum just you know two lines for you here and for your viewers which is kisi ki muskuraton pe ho nisa kisi ka dard mil sake tule udhar kisi ke vaaste ho tere dil mein pyaar jeena isi ka naam hai so you know this is life you got to give to others you know my mother used to say life is an echo all comes back the good the false the true so give the world the best you have and the best will come back to you whatever whatever you whatever you throw out comes around and this also includes positive thoughts positive thinking you know uh, good deeds that you do so i think all of this is, is is important in life and therefore i think one should use one's talent to better society and to better humanity in whatever way one can and every drop counts boon boon se bhare sarovar so every drop counts so which is why if every individual starts contributing and not depending on what the government can do what an ngo can do what somebody else can do why should i not do it myself so if each of us start doing something good ourselves we will then be building a, a better world beautiful sentiments uh, uh, dr batra and such a wonderful learning from you and uh, not bad singing too i must say that's one of my favorite songs thank you i know you also have a lot of celebrity um, friends you know um film actors singers sports uh, people are they all your patients too somebody actually the other way around mm. uh, it's my patients who become lifelong friends one so you know, interact with them we develop a personal rapport i'm saying i've been treating these families for like maybe 45 years and i'm still in touch with them you know and now they become friends so whenever we have you know any occasion for charity or anything that we do they all come free of charge you know we have this one platform called positive health awards which we do every year where we actually honor people who have disability and contribute to society so we had all the top stars coming rithik roshan you know aishwarya bachchan abhishek bachchan and so on and so forth all of them shatrughan sena all sonakshi sena all of them coming and they all come free of charge because it's only because of relationship so we don't pay for any endorsement uh, we don't pay any influencers but we have friends who actually believe in our cause and therefore they 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 put their best foot forward and help us out 
that's good to know uh doctor some of our viewers have sent me some questions uh you know that it would be very nice if you could answer them could i just ask them just a few certainly please go ahead how effective is homeopathy in treating covid 19 so again there are two parts to the question one is prevention and the other is treatment and i would say even a third part is post covid treatment so i divide into three parts sure. so the first part is prevention uh homeopathy has always been used as a preventive for epidemics for the last 100 years starting from the spanish flu which happened 100 years ago the mortality rate with modern medicine at that time was 30% and with homeopathy uh, it was only 1% that's the difference so there's a track record similarly uh, when cuba had leprospirosis they used homeopathic medicine and they were able to bring and contain that andhra pradesh used a homeopathic medicine called belladonna which was used as a preventive for japanese encephalitis or viral fever so many kids died at that time after giving that not a single child died of japanese encephalitis in andhra pradesh you know so these are all examples i'm giving and there are many like this all across the world over a period of 100 years to show that homeopathy works very well in epidemics now let's come to the present epidemic for the present epidemic uh, which is your covid 19 uh, the ayush ministry had recommended a homeopathic medicine called arsenic al it is 30 potency to be taken twice a day for 3 days once in a month to build immunity now this is something which has really worked very well the gujarat government has given more than 75 lakh doses free and lot of governments have done it all across india you know on the advice of the ayush ministry uh, that's as a preventive another research was done in gujarat where about 6500 people who were actually isolated and they were tested you know positive and they were in quarantine uh, they were given homeopathic medicine and ayurvedic medicine out of the 2500 patients who were given homeopathic medicines and ayurvedic medicines the balance only 11 patients actually developed covid so you know and a lot of them were not they didn't take the they didn't take all the doses either because they were in different phases of infection now having said that which really shows that uh, in early stages and as a preventive homeopathy works very well so now in obviously in serious cases you need to be hospitalized what you need to do is you need to you need to recognize early symptoms and it to take corrective action right in the beginning and not wait for you to get into lung collapse and you know again into complications so this is the first thing so when you are when you are really not well you should consult a doctor at early signs you should try to take treatment and go to hospital if you need to and not keep holding back okay now coming to post covid now you know there are lots of post covid complications now some of them are anxiety some of them are depression we have seen lots of patients uh some of them are lung functions because you know they can't breathe so well they get restless when they walk from point a uh, weakness debility hair loss these are all kind of post covid uh, problems which you see very commonly some even heart diseases so i believe that a lot of these post covid complications uh, can be treated through homeopathy and in our clinics we actually have a post covid test we are now starting a lung test as well where you can do a spirometry test you can actually see whether you are covid ready or whether you are covid recovered both ways so you can actually take a lung test which is a computerized test which will show you what is your lung capacity so if it is good then your chances of getting lung uh, you know dissolved disorder during covid are less if and if you recovered have you really recovered is your breathing capacity back to normal that also you can do so we are doing this also as as part of our our innovation uh, you know going forward and we are we are doing this uh, you know we are going to start it from 1st of september something new but it will be very useful to society and to people so uh we can help post covid complications and we can can help uh, preventive 
So are there any conditions or diseases that homeopathy cannot cure? Yes, there are many. And uh, there are many that, you see, no system of medicine is complete by itself. And every system of medicine has its advantages and disadvantages. I think it's for the patient or the consumer to actually understand what is good for him. And even for the doctor to recommend what really will work. So, for example, uh, you know, homeopathy is very, very good for lifestyle disorders. It's very good for chronic problems. It's very good for problems like diabetes, in a way, you know, type 2 diabetes, not type 1. Uh, also very good uh, for hair loss, skin problems, acne, eczema, psoriasis, vitiligo, white patches, and so on and so forth. Arthritis, asthmas, respiratory ailments, and mental health, uh, women's health, you know, small early fibroids, irregularity in periods, painful periods. All of that can be actually treated uh, through homeopathy very well. Uh, children disorders, you know. Uh, including ADHD, attention deficit disorders, and lots of stress and emotional anxiety disorders as well in children as well as in grown-ups. So this is the kind of the area where homeopathy can really help. You know, I would just you know say that uh, no system of medicine is complete, and disease keeps evolving. So for example, when I went to medical uh, college in 1973 when I passed out, uh, we were never taught either chikungunya or AIDS or bird flu or COVID. I'm saying no doctor knew that. There was, a, there was a separate, you know, section abroad called tropical medicines because they never knew, foreign doctors never knew what was jaundice and what is chickenpox and what is malaria. But today with the world becoming one and with the kind of traveling that people are doing, uh, today disease spreads very fast. So if something happened to Wuhan, you know, and China, within a few months it spread all over the world. So, you know, disease keeps evolving, you know. So no system of medicine is complete and therefore I think people should take the best of every system of medicine. Whether it is allopathy, whether it's homeopathy, and jokingly I say even if it is thirupathy. I mean, even if you believe in God and that also helps you to, to get all right, I mean, please use it. You know, but but just get well. That's what is important. I mean, use the best what works for you. Wonderful. So do you feel from the days that you began your practice, um, homeopathy has found a lot more acceptance in India and in other parts of the world? Yes, most certainly it has because, uh, you know, India, I mean, uh, okay, let me come to the world first. So, uh, according to WHO, Health Organization, WHO, uh, India is the second largest system of medicine in the world already. And it's the youngest. It's only 250 years old compared to Ayurveda, which is 2,000 years old, and modern medicine, which is almost 1,000 years old. So, it's really, uh, you know, the youngest of all systems and it's the fastest growing. It's growing about 20% back to back. having And it's practiced in 180 countries of the world legally. You know, so, it's been legalized now in over 180 countries of the world. So, it's really that popular. Coming to India, of course, now the government has actually got a separate ministry called the Ayush Ministry, which is actually promoting homeopathy in a very big way. But in India, we have the largest number of believers in homeopathy. You know, some 50 crore people believe in homeopathy on a regular basis all over the world, out of which 10 crore are from India. So India has the largest acceptance of homeopathy in the world. The largest number of patients take homeopathy medicine in the world. It has the largest number of homeopathic doctors in the world. 300,000, 3 lakh doctors, homeopathic doctors in India the largest. It has the largest number of colleges that train homeopathic doctors, over 180 colleges or 135 colleges. So if you look at all the numbers, but in terms of revenue, it's not the largest because here homeopathy medicines are still cheap, you know, doctors are accessible, you know. Uh, so it's not like abroad where treatment is very expensive, uh, homeopathy is a super speciality and the OTC products are very expensive. So uh, India is really the hub for homeopathy, I would say. and uh, Really, it's time now for, for, for Indian doctors and Indian homeopaths 
to actually take homeopathy to the rest of the world. The way we took yoga to the rest of the world, you know, we now need to take homeopathy to the rest of the world because of the kind of expertise that we have and the knowledge that we have in homeopathy. And also, I believe that there is a huge uh, possibility here or an opportunity here also having of, of making sure that you have medical tourism for homeopathy. I'm saying you have medical tourism for Ayurveda, you have people coming to, it, to go to spas, you know, for treatment, retreats, but people are not really coming that much for homeopathic treatment when you have the largest number of homeopathic doctors in the world. So I think that's another thing that we could encourage. We could actually give e-visas to people, you know, health visas to people to come to India and actually take homeopathic treatment and encourage it. I'm sure that the whole industry will even grow more. That's a very good uh, idea, Dr. Batra. And I wish that uh, comes through. Any message or any health tip for our viewers before we conclude? So, uh, you know, health is something which is uh, very personalized. And you can't generalize health. The four tips that I'd like to give before I close. Uh, the first is sleep well. There's a lot of, we don't recognize that very well. But sleep is very important. When I was researching for my book, 13 Steps to Bloody Good Health, I found that 93% of Indians are sleep deprived. It's not just the hours of sleep, but it's also the quality of sleep that is important. So I think if you want to stay healthy and stay fit, make sure that you're sleeping well. The second thing is eat well. It was Hippocrates, who's the founder of modern medicine, said, let food be your medicine or medicine will be your food. So food is medicine. So you must eat right. So today, what are we eating? We're having fast food. We're having you know, processed food. Now, all of that is wrong. So if you eat homemade food, if you have a balanced diet, that's the best kind of diet that you can have. So I think that's the, that's the second thing that, that, that we should be doing. It's very important for good health that you eat right. The third is we need to exercise regularly. We have become very comfortable. So, you know, they say sitting is a new smoking. So do we get up after every 20 minutes and take a little walk and come back or not? You know, uh, do we actually exercise every day, even a little bit? Do we walk and do we do, you know, muscle strengthening exercise? Because as you're growing older, you need to you lose muscle. You need to strengthen your muscles. So I think uh, these are a few things that you need to do to stay fit. And finally, the last point that I want to make, which is very important, is also that you need to think positively. So negative thoughts will make you sick. And positive thoughts will make you happy and then keep disease away. I'd like to end with another two lines of one of my favorite songs of Kishore Kumar, which I sing for my grandchildren. Uh, and which is my wish for the world. So with that wish for all your viewers, thank you so much, Sandhya. Thank you for your time and for the opportunity. Thank you so much, Doctor. That was wonderful. Such a beautiful message to conclude with. A lovely song. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can also view the interview as a video on the Raintree Media YouTube channel. Until I'm back next week with another interesting guest. Take care and bye-bye. Do subscribe to the Raintree Media channel on YouTube. Like, comment and share the videos.